We are uh, going to be rolling into today's sermon, which we've been talking about the, the things. We're trying to answer the question of why First Baptist Kenai? Why not any other church in the peninsula? What makes this church different? What makes um, Baptist life in general different than, say, some of the other denominations? And um, we've had some good discussions. We've talked uh, quite a bit about um, the different distinctives that are part of the Baptist faith. Um, yesterday, or last week, yesterday, uh, last week we were talking um, uh, a lot about uh, membership and what it means to have a saved and baptized membership. Um, and I think it's important as we look at what Baptist life is all about that we look at membership. We even talked to um, folks online and we wanted to encourage those that may not be attending here locally um, that if you're interested in being a member of our church, there there is a pathway forward. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and uh, we'd love for you just to reach out to us through uh, through email um, or through instant messenger. I know that uh, last week we had some prayer requests that uh, came through and we just want to let those of you know that you're online, those of you that were online um, that we're praying, we've been praying for you all week. Um, one individual is praying for some healing and um, another individual was struggling um, with uh, some finances. We just ask that you continue, we're asking the Lord to continue to, to bless them and uh, to continue to move in 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 their lives. Um, so that being said, today we're going to roll into the first of a of a, a two part mini series inside the larger series. So today's part one, we're going to be talking about the two ordinances, right? Two commands that Jesus gave to the church before he left. Um, those commands are simply uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So we'll be dealing with this week baptism, and next week we'll be talking about the Lord's Supper. And since it is the beginning of the month, and it is the beginning of us coming back together. Um, we're still working out the details, but our goal is uh, to attempt to do uh, the Lord's Supper uh, this coming week. So, um, that being said, uh, if you um, want to participate in that, obviously you have to be here with us locally. If not, we'll be walking you through how to do that online. Um, and uh, we will definitely have a, a pathway if you're at home worshiping for in, in that way. Uh, but for the rest of us that are here, uh, we're going to do our very best to make sure that how we uh, do our Lord's Supper um, is consistent with um, safety protocols so that uh, obviously no one feels like they're going to get a virus. Um, if they partake in that part of the um, the service. So, that being said, let's go ahead and uh, just open up our Bibles to the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to start off, and we're going to be in a several several passages, and like I've been telling you guys for the last several weeks, um, I'm going through these scriptures kind of fast, and I can only apologize. Um, the beautiful thing is if you're online, you can always pause it, rewind it, and, and, and uh, keep going. But if you're here in, in the building, um, yeah, the best thing you can do is just have a good, sharp pencil and um, be prepared to take notes. In our worship bulletin, um, we do have the uh, the note, uh, the sermon notes uh, page, so you can take some good notes there so you can look on this later on. Um, but we're going to be dealing with um, uh, Matthew chapter 28, and yes, you guessed it, um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 starting in the seventh, 16th verse um, as we look at what Jesus said to the church um, as right before he ascended into heaven. Um, so the last ordinance that he gave, which was baptism uh, to us. But I think we need to deal with some questions up front and first, because before we can deal with these questions about baptism, uh, before, before we deal with baptism as itself, we need to bring up some questions and get them right out there on the table before we do anything else. The first thing is, is baptism um, a pathway to salvation? 
Um, this is this is actually the view of a lot of different churches um, in the world. Um, it's the dominant Roman Catholic view um, that baptism is a source of grace, and that this grace, if you will, and I'm using quotation marks, the word grace there is that um, this grace actually imparts salvation to those people that are baptized. Um, and the idea, and there's a reason behind it. I mean, I don't agree with it, obviously, as Baptists, and we've talked about this quite a bit through our series. But as Baptists, we believe that salvation comes first, and after salvation comes baptism as a sign um, and as an obedience factor uh, of our faith, um, not as a modus of salvation. But there are um, there are those that do believe this, and and the the, the mentality is this: is that since people are um, are born into sin, which I don't disagree with, all of us that um, that are, are are human beings that are not Jesus, and that means all of us, um, we were all born into sin, and and we have a sin nature. And so the Catholic Church wanted to deal with that. And so one of the ways they dealt with that was by uh, removing the original sin taint off of the um, off of the child by baptizing them as an infant. And so the idea there is that if the child were to die, and understand that the Catholic Church is a church that has grown in... Um, has evolved over the years, has grown in structure and complexity as the years have progressed. And as one of the longest denominations on the planet, longest serving denominations on the, pla- on the planet, they have an incredible history um, of thought behind this as they were moving forward. I-, I don't agree with it, and I don't think scripture supports it, um, but that's their idea. They wanted to be able to make sure that children go to heaven, and in a day and age, in the Middle Ages and, and earlier, where the infant mortality rate could be as high as 50 or 60 percent. Um, so you can see where parents were desperately concerned about their, their young children. Um, now this is not a sermon about where children go um, where, when they die. That's a whole other discussion, a whole other sermon. Uh, but we can definitely get into that later if you'd like to. Um, and I could do that one-on-one with you. Um, and But there became a problem. Obviously, if if a child is that's baptized goes to heaven, but if a child that isn't baptized and dies, where do they go? And so they didn't want to say that full on that a child that is not baptized as an infant will go to hell. Um, they they made up or created a, made up, created, they um, discovered maybe, I don't know uh, what the word is. They, they, they found a place that they could use uh, that would hold infant children, and they called that limbo. Um, now, this isn't something Something that we believe. I just want to give you guys this history. I'm not knocking the Catholic Church. Um, I'm merely pointing out uh, the differences in their faith as opposed to the things that we have. Now, that you say, well, that's great for the Catholics. None of us are Catholic. Um, why does that apply to us? Well, it's knowledge, right? Um, and knowledge for its own self is useless, but knowledge that glorifies God that brings us to a place where we can share the gospel message to those that are in needing hope. Um, I think it's important. So that brings us to um, the next. Uh, uh, the next belief system uh, that's in place, and that is the Reformed view. And when I say Reformed view, we're talking about Lutherans, Presbyterians, Episcopals, um, Episcopalians, these uh, faiths that are more the Reformed tradition. That means they looked at the Catholic Church and it was too, too much was wrong with it. 
And so they chose to try to find re, um, reform and make the Catholic Church reformed into what it should look like. And so that's why the, uh, a Lutheran service and a Presbyterian service and an Episcopalian service looks so much like a Catholic service. It's because they took the elements they enjoyed from that and then um, uh, cut out the areas that were not biblical. And so that's where it led them to that. So they have this idea in the reform view that there is a that this uh, baptism as an infant is equivalent to the circumcision that occurred in the lives of the Church of Israel or in the Israel in in, in Israel uh, to the Jews of the day, and and I, it's a great idea, and I have no problem with that. In fact, Baptists we often dedicate our children. Uh, we don't go so far as to baptize them, but we do dedicate them. Um, and but the idea in this theology that it's a sign or a seal is that um, uh, baptized when they're or, or Infants, when they're baptized, will have that sign and seal, and they're they're brought into the family of God in that way, with the expectation that salvation would follow soon after, um, or eventually, as the children grew and were able to make decisions on their own. Um, the problem with that idea is, is that the underlying theology is is that. Um, is that the church is now the new Israel. And that's not really the case. Now, now you say, wait a minute, Pastor, you've said before that, um, that we are the, the new Levites, we are this. Yes, I, I fully admit all of that, um, that we are. But, but to go so far as to say the church has taken Israel's place is not scriptural. Um, we were grafted in. We are the wild vine. The Gentiles were grafted onto the vine that was Israel. God is not done with the nation of Israel yet. He still has plans to use them in the coming days. And we're going to get into a lot of that when we start looking in the book of Daniel. But right now, um, we're just uh, continuing on in this um uh, in this understanding of what it is. And so we know that it's not really a sign um, and it's not really a seal. And so then what is it? Well, our view as Baptists is that uh, baptism is a symbol because we, while we don't believe that we are Israel, we do believe we are grafted into that family. And so um, this is simply a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by doing, what, doing this, um, by following this visible representation, if you will, this symbol, it allows us the opportunity to be obedient as we follow God this way. And we are to do it uh, both um, visibly and uh, in front of Folks, uh, we're also supposed to do this um, uh, as a, as a sign that what God has done inside our hearts. So a lot of times, when pastors, myself included, are baptizing, we will often say the words, you know, um, "I baptize you, my brother or my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit," which is scriptural. Um, and then we, if we have time, a lot of times we'll say um, as a symbol of uh, as you're following the Lord in believers' baptism, you're following Him as a symbol into His death, burial, and resurrection. Um, and uh, then we baptize them, and then we say, and they're raised to walk in the newness of life. These are all wonderful phrases, and um, unfortunately, there's just so much to say, and very little time when you get them under the water, and you're pulling them back up. So um, just, uh, just know that as we are moving forward. Um, 
that this is a symbol, and this is how the Baptists view it. We view it as a symbol um, of the death, burial, and resurrection, and following him as an obedient thing. Um, so we're looking at a symbol. We're looking at this as a as a as a rite, and and I use the word R I T E, a rite, um, a Christian rite. Um, and what that means is that it's a symbol that's employed with regularity and sacred intent. Um, now, while while we can easily say the water that goes uh, that's in that baptistry is simply that it's just water, right? There's nothing mystical or magical about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can't take that water and pull it out of there and say, this is holy water. It's not any more than any other water that's used. Um, but there is also a mystery involved in it, and, and I cannot explain it to you. Those of you that have been baptized, you may look back at your day of baptism as a time where, where you truly look at that as a moment where you've, you've gone from one place to another. You've, you've gone from, from being a sinner um, that has no chance whatsoever to being somebody that's fully immersed in the kingdom of God. Um, it was like that for me. I, I mean, it was, it was it, I don't want to say mystical, but there was something special, something of a mystery that happened when my pastor baptized me. And it was something that was truly amazing. So there is that. And then also we need to remember that this is an ordinance, right? An ordinance is simply this symbolic rite um, that uh, embodies all the central truths of our faith. And it's universal and it is ongoing. Um, so every church that is an evangelical church that is a follower of, of the New Testament theology, they baptize by immersion, just like we do. So that brings us to um, our passage of Scripture today. I just want to start off, and I'll go ahead and read uh, the last part of Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. It says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, uh, to the mountain which Jesus had designated, Mount of Olives. Um, and when they saw him, uh, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Um, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, and teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you even unto the end of the age. Now I want you to consider this mandate, if you will, um, that God has given us. A mandate of two believers to follow him in what we call, what we like to call, believer's baptism. Um, last week I had mentioned to you guys about baptism and told you we were going to flesh it out even more. Um, there's a great theologian, if you ever get a chance to read any of his material, his name is uh, his last name is Bruce. Um, I'm not really sure his first two names because uh, um, all the books I have just say F.F. Bruce and I've never really looked into it. Um, but everybody that knows anything about um, theologians has probably come across his name once or twice. And he said this. He says that the idea, the idea of an unbaptized Christian is not even entertained in Scripture. I mean, think about that. That not only is a, a non-baptized saved membership is not entertained in the scripture, neither is a non-baptized or an unbaptized Christian. Um, and we see that when we look at the passage of scripture, the 11 disciples, as they were gathered together, there was this expectation that baptism was part of it. Jesus says, I have, I have all authorities given to me. 
under heaven and earth. This is the way it is. And now I'm telling you as my disciples to go therefore and make disciples as I've made you, he's saying, um, of all the nations. That means not pulling back to just specific people that you think deserve Christianity, but all nations, all people, make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a powerful proclamation that Christ has given us. We see that in verse 19. Go, make disciples, baptize them. You know, he's not, he's not saying that only certain ones of you can baptize. He says everybody needs to be baptized and anybody can baptize. Um, and that brings up a really good point. You know, a lot of times I've been asked when, uh, when young, um, young members of the family uh, come and seek baptism, they always ask, um, you know, they always want to, want to know, you know, how does this work? And, and a lot of times um, when there's a father involved in the equation, I always um, talk to that saved and, and, and born-again father and I ask him, do you want the opportunity to baptize your children. Um, there's nothing magical or mystical about me putting somebody under the water. Um, and regardless of what you think and feel, I'm not, I'm not special. Um, I just happen to be the one that God has called to this particular ministry. Um, I've had the privilege to baptize every one of my, my children and I would love to be able to um, extend that to any father um, in the faith family. Um, the reality is, uh, God doesn't put a, a, a requirement uh, uh, of gender or, or age or occupation on baptism. Um, it simply gives us the command that we are all to do this. We are all to go into the world, make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to observe the commandments that he gave us. Um, so we have some things here. God is, is giving this proclamation through his, his servant and his son Jesus to us through the writings of Matthew as well as um, um, a couple of the other writers in the New Testament. And we see that these words form the great Commission. This is our commandment going forward. This was the injunction the apostles were given, and it's also the guide that we have as we move forward. Um, in, in all the new, all the members of the New Testament churches were baptized believers. We see that very consistently. We're going to go through some passages in Scripture that are going to um, define that a little more. But even so, Jesus himself recognized that John the Baptist's baptism was of heaven. We see that in Matthew chapter 21. I'm not going to read that, but I encourage you to go and look at Matthew chapter 21 and see that even Jesus was talking about that particular thing. And the fact that Jesus himself was baptized as he inaugurated his ministry. Um, and he was baptized by John the Baptist before he ever began to preach and proclaim his message. So there's a purpose in the mandate, and we see that. This purpose is that by um, uh, bringing people through baptism and into discipleship, we are teaching them. Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all the things that we've been commanded. And this, um, this mandate was given to us without end. And that we talk about that, it's to, it's to be an ongoing mandate. And you say, well, where's that at? Look what it says. It says, um, it says, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you even unto the ends of the age. So he's saying that this, through that passage, and the, that's an idiom, the way that he's been speaking there. It's a, it's a, a, a something that would be you know, to the Greek-speaking culture of that day. He was basically saying, you're going to do this forever. You're going to do this until I come back um, to the end of the age. And this is how you're going to prove not only to a world around you but also to those of us that are gathering fellow believers that I am with you. This is part of it. Um, notice um, he says who's going to be participating in this. Um, he talks about the fact that um, that 
all nations are going to be part of this. This is a pretty powerful statement coming to a, um, a group, going to a group of people that by and large did not like anyone that was not Jewish. Even in, among, among the Jews, there was, there was hierarchies. There were Jews and then there were Jews, right? Um, and and there, was some, there was some frustrations that ran among the Jewish culture that was like that. Um, if you weren't born in and around Jerusalem or Judea, then, then you weren't really a Jew. If you were born, say, um, um, in Egypt or in other areas, you were looked down upon. Um, you, weren't, you weren't trusted as much. And so these people that were a little xenophobic um, were being told that they need to baptize everyone in all nations. So it would have been a bombshell to them, no doubt. Um, and so, as we move on to the meaning behind baptism is where we're going to start to break this down a little bit further. Um, we already said before that, that we know that salvation um, does not come by baptism. Um, it is merely a, a symbol of the change that's happened within us, but it's not required. If a person accepts Christ as their Savior, but is never has the opportunity to follow in believer's baptism, they're still going to heaven. And you say, well, where's your scriptural evidence of that? Well, you can look at the thief on the cross. Um, Jesus was very clear that he was going to be in heaven, um, and very clearly there was never an opportunity while the man was living um, to be baptized. Now, I know you can, you can stretch it and say that when he, when he died and they pulled his body off the cross, they, they washed him and they did a baptism of sorts, but, but that's never anything that's ever been part of anything in Scripture, Old Testament or New. Um, the idea of baptism was something that was relative, was, was uh, consistent all the way through from the Old Testament all the way through the New, um, and we can look at that at, at, at length at another time. I wish I could really walk you through baptism from the very beginning. Uh, right in, in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, I mean, there's a lot of discussion in the early um, in the early lives of the Jews that led to the idea of baptism. See, John the Baptist didn't just show up doing something they'd never seen before. Um, he was doing something they were very familiar with. Um, so, if you um, uh, want to write down the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, it's a restatement. Um, in Mark's gospel of what Matthew wrote, um, Jesus said to them in verse 15 of, of Mark 16, he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, every creature. Um, he who believes is baptized and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Um, and notice uh, in that second half of the verse, it doesn't say that who he who believes not is not baptized um, and shall be condemned. The first half of the verse simply um, stating that the baptism is expected of a true believer. This is the direction we're coming from. Jesus also had a great discussion with Nicodemus in chapter 3 in the book of John. Um, and he had that great statement where he says, unless one is born of the, uh, of the water and the Spirit, um, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Um, and then he goes on to expound. He says that which is born of the flesh, flesh is flesh. Um, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Um, and, and then he goes to that great thing and says, you've got to understand, Nicodemus, you must be born again, which gives us the idea of being born again um, in the Baptist or the evangelical method. Um, now, understand that, that Jesus was not making a uh, so much a, a baptismal reference there. He was just simply stating that um, the flesh, he was equating flesh with water, um, the idea that that is something that um, is basic, everybody has, um, but it's the spiritual side that really brings salvation. And they both 
come together as a symbol and a sign moving forward. Um, so there is that. So we have the idea that um, that this is truly um, not something that is required for salvation, but it is something required for us to move forward as we seek to serve God. Um, and it's obviously that it's a symbol. The word itself is uh, baptize is a Greek word um, that's been transliterated in English. The original Greek word is baptisto, which means literally to immerse fully into um, the water and to come back out, which is how we know that Jesus did it. In fact, um, in John or in Matthew chapter three, um, verses four through seventeen, you have that beautiful picture of John um, the Baptist at the River Jordan as he's baptizing his followers, um, and he had that great discussion with uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they um, uh, they wanted to know whether or not he was this the Messiah or if he was the prophet that was coming, and he just said, "No, it's not me." And then Jesus showed up, and that's when. He he knew, and he's like, Jesus, I can't baptize you. Um, I, I'm not worthy. I am not worthy to baptize you. And I just, I love that expression of John, the way he was so um, so humble and so willing to just to just um, uh, allow Jesus to be God. And sometimes we don't, we don't always do that. Um, but Jesus simply said to him, he says, look, John, um, this has to be. Um, because we have to fulfill some scripture here. We have to fulfill um, a level of righteousness here, and this has to happen. And so John did. He baptized Jesus, and when he came up, um, that's when they saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and the voice of God came um, out of the the sky, out of heaven, simply saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so we see um, that Jesus is brought forward and, and fully is set forth as the Messiah at that moment. Um, And there's an expectation um, that comes with baptism. You see, we follow Jesus' example, and with that example comes an expectation. Obviously, Jesus would expect that we would follow and obey his commandments. He's commanded us to be baptized. Um, I find it interesting, one of the first uh, converts, and I want to say Gentile converts, but um, I'm not, I'm just, I don't want to go fully into there because obviously there's, um, um, there's different understandings uh, of this particular individual, but the eunuch that was coming back from Jerusalem, he was obviously a God-fearer. Um, there was something there um, that God was trying to answer as this man was going back to Ethiopia um, to serve as a, as a high member of the court there in the Ethiopian kingdom. And um, uh, he needed to know the gospel. He truly loved God's word because he was sitting in his, in his, uh, uh, in his chariot or or his card, or whatever he was riding in, uh, reading the book of Isaiah, um, and all of a sudden Philip shows up, and and Philip's just there, and he's like, "Hey, you want to know what it is you're reading? You want to know who you're reading about?" And the eunuch's like, "Oh yeah, I want to know." And so um, uh, brought him onto the onto the cart. Uh, Philip had a chance to witness directly to him um, and to share the gospel with him, and he finally sat for it's all over with. He goes, um, he goes, "I believe, I got you." I'm right there. What's going to stop me now from uh, from becoming a full-on believer? What's going to stop me from uh, from being baptized? And and Philip just said, "Hey, 
there's water. Um, let's be baptized. Let's do it right now. And as soon as he baptized him, the Spirit took him away from there and, um, and sent him on the, another mission field. Um, Peter's sermon in the book of Acts, chapter 47, or chapter 10, verses 47 and 48, um, Peter was answering uh, this question. Uh, people were asking about uh, baptism and, and about salvation, and, and he had just got finished witnessing to a group of people that obviously accepted Christ their Savior, and he said, can anyone forbid water that these people should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay on for a few more days. So Peter himself, as one of the Lord's um, closest disciples, um, was also really pushing this idea in the early church. Um, and so that's really kind of where we're, uh, where we're at as we're moving through this. The baptism is something that is definitely um, uh, a method and a, um, a plan for God to be able to move his kingdom closer um, together and, um, and further as he moves on. So um, let's look at the method. Now we're talking about the method. We've, we keep talking about this submerged method of, of baptism. And I can't stress this enough. This is such an important concept. Um, I was actually baptized twice before I actually got saved. Um, those of you that know me, you know that I uh, came from an Episcopal and a Catholic um, um, upbringing. Um, I had one grandparent that was Catholic, one that was Episcopalian. They sort of got together. And um, so in order for me to uh, be, be right in the eyes of both of them. I had to be baptized in both faiths. Um, I was baptized Episcopalian first and then as a Catholic. Um, and then I was confirmed as an Episcopalian when I turned the age of 12. Um, so, you know, I was firmly in that camp trying to follow what that faith group was teaching, but it wasn't, it was meaningless. It didn't, it didn't change. I, I didn't receive anything from that other than a connection to the church that I happened to be attending. And so um, that really wasn't something that I needed. Uh, what I needed was Jesus Christ in my life and my soul. And so when I finally did have that moment of salvation where I know that Jesus entered into my heart and soul on December 2nd, 1984, um, I bowed my head and my will before Holy God. And He came into my life, saved me, regenerated me, transformed me. And that night um, I followed Him in Believer's Baptism as we had a baptismal service that just was amazing. It was electric. Um, there was a bunch of people who got saved that day. Um, there must have been 10, 15, maybe 20 guys in the guy's side of the baptism. There must have been that same number in the women's side. And um, the women went first and they, they all got baptized. And then, then it was the guy's turn and there was just such excitement and enthusiasm. And it was just amazing. When I finally went down there, I remember just trembling, um, feeling this power of the Spirit so mightily upon all of us. And, and, and to be able to see that moment where, where God just brought me under the water and come back up, I tell you, I cannot, I still can't put into words what it, what it did to my soul and to myself um, to do that. I know that it was, it was just a symbol, but there was just such a mystery to it, such a, an amazing moment for myself. Um, so that being said, um, there is the method of, of baptism, as we've talked about before. That word, um, uh, that word, baptisto, literally means to baptize. Um, that's the word we get. It means to immerse fully and draw back up. Um, the Greeks actually had a word for uh, uh, for sprinkling. Um, they call it uh, renatizo, uh, which I guess you can almost say like rain. Um, and uh, But that's never used, not once, in the, New Testament, in the New Testament or in discussion with this particular ordinance. It's always baptisto, which literally means to go under and to come back up. Um, in fact, if you'll, if you'll turn with me to the book of Acts, uh, chapter 8, 
um, we're going to see uh, we're going to see that picture that we talked about a few minutes ago of Philip and the eunuch, and we're going to look just a little more clearly um, at what's being taught there. So in in uh, in Acts chapter eight, verse thirty four um, through thirty nine, um, we see this this wonderful picture taking poor, taking taking place. So um, in verse thirty four, it says this. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say um, this is? Um, of himself or of somebody else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road as they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, and the, um, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This is, the, this is coming from uh, the eunuch. And uh, then uh, the eunuch ordered that his chariot stop. They both went down into the water. And Philip, as well as the eunuch, in the water. Why would you need to do that if all you need to do is sprinkle some water on somebody's head? Um, and they both went down into the water. And... Um, uh, and then he baptized the eunuch. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of God snatched Philip away, and the eunuch was left in the water, no longer with his preacher baptizing him. Um, and he no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip fell himself um, at Azortus um, as he passed through, and um, he kept on preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea, which is where he uh, found a home and had um, some children and uh, continued to serve the Lord. So, we see that that beautiful example of uh, of Philip, and by the way, Philip was a deacon. He he wasn't a, he wasn't an apostle. He was just a guy who had, who had just given his heart to the Lord. Um, he had been uh, called to be a deacon, and then from there he went on. The Bible says that his daughters were prophetesses um, and uh, served the Lord in that way. I mean, it was just a powerful family that served God in a mighty mighty way. Um, so. In that same book of Acts, chapter 16, I encourage you to flip over just a couple more pages. We can see the same action that happened to Lydia when Lydia was talking to Paul. So in, in Acts chapter 16, starting in the 13th verse, um, it said this, that and on the Sabbath day, um, Paul went outside the gate to, a river, to the riverside where, they were, uh, where uh, we, talking about Luke, was with him, were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who were assembled there. And a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a, sell a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. She's, I mean, she's a God-fearer. She worshiped God um, through the Jewish um, tradition of being like a beginning proselyte, um, was listening to the Lord, opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And he said to her and her household, and when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us um, and they stayed there, they stayed there uh, for quite some time. And so this is the example that we have from Lydia, who was um, a member uh, of, of God's house um, household. From a distance, she had, not she had not yet believed in Jesus Christ, but she was truly a believer in Scripture. So she was seeking. The Bible is very clear that if we seek Him, we'll find Him. Um, and you follow that wonderful example, you know, ask, uh, seek, seek, ask, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. Um, and uh, we, we would definitely find find uh, find Jesus. 
So we see that this method of uh, baptism is there's a level of practicality that's involved. Um, so water baptism by immersion, although it's not very practical, it is truly a matter of fact. And when you see somebody that is 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 engaging in this activity, everyone anywhere knows exactly what it is. And it's a beautiful opportunity of being able to, to go under the water and then come out as a full-on believer and follower of, uh, of God. And so this comes to the final um, final part of our message which we're getting into now is 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 um, is we look at the message this sends out um, this talks about the conversion um, this proclamation as we send out it says that when we when we follow God in believers baptism we are making a statement to the world around us that we are truly believers of the one true God we're followers and it means something um, we are identifying ourselves with him and we are moving forward um, and I think it's an incredible in, uh, level of importance that we do this. Um, but with that proclamation comes that level of obedience. Um, scripture, as we go back to the original text that we started off with, uh, Jesus was very clear. Um, he said that we are to go into all the world and, and um, preach the gospel. We are to make disciples of every nation. Uh, we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we are to teach them all of the ordinance and commands that Jesus gave um, to us that they might be followers also of Jesus Christ. And that idea of, of each one or each one, that idea of, of individual replication in the life of another individual, this is what we're all called to be. The reality is, is that we have people around us all the time. And people are connecting with us on various levels and they're looking at us and they're, and they're following us, whether it's our children that we are setting an example for, whether it's our spouse, whether it's our next door neighbors, we are all setting an example as we move forward. And that example is leading somebody in one direction or the other. C.S. Lewis says that there are no ordinary people, that each and every one of us are extraordinary because each and every one of us are images of the living God, period, right? And so because each of us are, are examples of the living God, and we are images of the living God, then as we move through this life, we encounter other people who are also images, of, image bearers of, of God. Whether they are believers or not, it's not the issue. We're all, we're all made in the image of God. And so we have a choice when we encounter people that we can nudge them down one path or the other. We can either nudge them closer to the kingdom of God by our actions, our words, and our deeds as we share more about um, Jesus, as we seek to disciple people around us, or we can nudge them on to hell. And that's, that's where we are. We have to ask ourselves, what are we doing? And I, I know many times people have, have come to me and say, Pastor, um, I need you to go witness this person because you're the pastor and you're the person doing this. And I would love to. And I, I, don't, I don't turn down opportunities to witness to people. Um, but the reality is, is that if somebody is, is on your life and, and God has put them on your heart, he's telling you through Matthew 28 that you are supposed to go and witness to them and then bring them into the church. I'll be more than happy to baptize them after afterwards, but honestly, it comes down to us individually replicating, each of us fulfilling that great commandment. Whether we're, whether we're three or 103, when God brings us into his kingdom, he, there's an expectation that we're going to follow him, not just in believer's baptism, but every step out of that. One of my favorite phrases when I, when I baptize somebody is I take them under the water and I pull them up and I say, you're raised to walk in the newness of life. 
Um, and the idea there is, it's not you are raised to sit in a pew and experience this newness of life and never do anything for your faith, right? No, we are raised to walk in the newness of life. The idea that we are going to take what we know and we've learned and following in that obedience, move forward. So now I guess we come to the end of it and we have to ask ourselves, so what? What does this mean? How do we apply this, right? What is the application? Well, the application is simply this. It's found in our, in our obedience. It's found in, in the three possible re- responses that you can have to a message like this. Either you are not a believer and you are not a follower and you've never been baptized, or you are a follower and a believer, you have been baptized, or you are a follower, you are a believer, but you have yet to be baptized. Those are the three areas that all of us are in um, tonight, today, at this moment in time, right? And so our response is this. Are we going to respond once in obedience, right? Um, that's the first response. Either we can respond in obedience, or we can response, respond in indifference, and just simply say, eh, I'll get around to it when I get around to it. Or we can respond in outright rejection. And so I ask you, which response are you willing to give? Is it obedience, indifference, or rejection? And that same level of response will also dictate every other aspect of our Christian life. Are you willing to be obedient to God's command and to go into all the world? Are you going to be obedient to God's command to be baptized? Are you going to be obedient to God's command to live as sinless as you possibly can, sharing his faith and, and leading other people to know Jesus as, his, as their Savior? Are you going to be indifferent to the call that's placed on your life? Or are you going to outright reject? Um, I can give you lots of stories of a lot of individuals in my, in my life that have had different responses. Um, but this isn't the time and place for that. You know where God is calling you this morning. And I encourage you to, to answer and respond in that way. In a moment, we're going to play some music. Um, the altar is going to be open for those of you that are here. Um, for those of you that are not, that are attending uh, the service online, um, we're going to go through, I think, three verses um, of an altar call. And when the music is over with, we're, um, the service is going to end for the rest of you, uh, for the, those of you online. Those of you that are here, um, the message is, um, uh, I mean, the music will play. And after the music is done, um, we will be uh, released from here. Um, we're going to ask you to stick around and go to our Sunday school, which is going to be um, in the different rooms around uh, the building. So we encourage you to follow the Lord in, um, in obedience as he's calling you today, whether he's calling you to the altar or into some greater service. Um, let's go ahead and pray as we close the service. Father, we love you so much. And we know that baptism is a very important thing. We know that it's an essential thing in the life of the believer. We also know, Lord, that while it's essential, it's not needed for salvation, but it is truly something it's important as we seek to serve you and honor you. Lord, we ask now that you will go before us as we seek to love you and to serve you. And Father, we just ask that you'll guide us as we seek to honor you um, through this. Father, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you as their Savior, that you won't let them leave today without getting their heart right. For the rest of us that know you and love you, Father, we ask that you will just guide our hearts and our minds, that we might be the best possible witnesses to those that are around us, that we might see your kingdom just expand and grow that we might see, truly see, thousands and thousands of individuals come to know your, uh, your son as their savior, that they might have that hope that lies within us. Again, Lord, we love you and we thank you as you open up the altar, go before us, and just uh, stay with us the rest of this week as we seek to serve you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And if you'll stand, let's go ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and worship the Lord.